Okay, we come to the last of our series on the appearances of God. We've been doing the appearances of God to various, various ones through the scriptures. There's only a handful of them uh, where God appeared. And so they're obviously important as they come and appear down through the years. And we finish today in the book of Revelations with the appearances of God in the end of the book of Revelations. And we got a book, the Bible, that is superior to all other books, and it is superior to all human learning, okay? And uh, for centuries and centuries, uh, people didn't grasp it much, and then people began to understand it, and I think God helps us all the time to understand it. And we see tonight the superior nature of the Bible and how it's put together in such an unusual way. <clears throat> We're going to think about that for a few minutes by tying together the appearances of God. You know, why did God make these appearances? What's he trying to communicate, teach us about himself? And then we come to the revelation. Next week, at this time, we will have communion service. Okay? So next week is a communion service which is after the holiday weekend, Tuesday, be a communion service next week, uh, and no Bible study. All right, so we're going to think for a minute in our minds, go back through what we started. We have the most unique appearance of God is to Moses. And he comes down and appears on the earth. That's the only time he would do that, of course, until Jesus came and appeared. And that is the ultimate appearance of God, okay? That's the main one. I've been talking about it for 34 years. <laughs> and I'm going to continue to talk about it until uh, I fall over dead and they drag me away, all right? I'm going to talk about the appearance of God uh, in the form of Jesus Christ. But these are the appearances where... God came down to Moses. And to Moses, he did something uh, very special. He gave him the laws, the moral code of living. And then he said, uh, we want to give you ceremonial law, uh, or we call it ceremonial. That is, these are things that we want you to do, Moses. You're going to build a temple we call it a tabernacle because it was actually a tent. And you're going to uh, put an ark of the covenant in there. And there's going to be two angels on top of that ark bowing towards each other with their wings touching. And uh, God's glory will appear as light on the seat of that ark, which is in the Holy of Holies. And outside the Holy of Holies is called the Holy Place. And on this side, there's that candlestick, one we talked about last week, all right? The seven-fold uh, light candlestick. And over here, on this side, there's a table with 12 loaves of bread on it. There's a table called the show bread. And then in the middle, there's a little altar here uh, of incense incense, an altar of incense. Out here will be an altar of sacrifice, 
buy that. A laver, a big bowl, huge bowl uh, for washing. And then you have the entrance, the door of the tabernacle. And so God said to Moses, here's what I want you to do. You're going to build this furniture. You're going to set it up this way. And as we go through the appearances of God, we suddenly realize this is more than just some furniture for church. Okay? It's a lot more than that. We've got the Ark of the Covenant representing the throne of God. All right? We talked about the throne of God that everybody saw. And it represents it. We saw angels in the vision of Isaiah and in the vision of Micaiah and all the rest around the throne, hovering around the throne and saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And there's two angels made of solid gold on top of the Ark of the Covenant because that's what we would see when we looked into heaven. We see the presence of God surrounded by angels and then we get man coming up to God. He's got to wash. He's got to be clean. He's got to wash first as he approaches God. And then he's got to have a sacrifice. Of course, Jesus would become the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus on the cross, sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And so as God want to go to heaven, approach God, we have to be washed from our sins, and we have to have a sacrifice. And then we come into the holy place, and as, as we approach God, we have that light there, uh, candlestick, which we explained last week, uh, a rather uh, long story about the Holy Ghost, the sevenfold mission of the Holy Ghost coming to people. Alright, so here's us coming to meet God and the Holy Ghost is going to do that. We got this table of bread over here and you're going to eat. You're going to be fed uh, uh, by God. You're going to eat. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. And he approached. And then we have this altar of incense. And I want to look at something uh, in Revelation chapter 5. Uh, we stopped just short of this last week. And we want to move ahead and get, pick this up. Revelation chapter 5. Because it's a very fascinating idea. Now, John looked into heaven in the book of Revelation. And he sees... Uh, God on the throne, he sees the angels just like everybody else saw, uh, hovering around the throne. And then he sees uh, 24 people. For the first time, he sees people in the view of heaven. We explain how the, the resurrection of Christ made it possible so that people could now move up to heaven. So we have a new view in heaven. There's people there. And uh, we said that was something new that we saw when John was showing us what he was looking at. And then for the first time, John described the person on the throne. 
And he, they, he said, well, who's going to open this book? It's a book they couldn't open. And the angel says, the lion of the tribe of Judah is going to open the book. And he said, when I saw him, he looked like a lamb that was slain. And so for the first time, we get a description of God on the throne, the lion and the lamb, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb of God. And so finally, we have identified that mysterious person that's been there. And I think John recognized him. Why? Best friend. Don't forget, on the Last Supper, he's got his head on Jesus' chest. You know? I mean, that's a pretty close friend, right? Gonna lay on your chest, <laughs> whisper in your ear. All right? And he called himself the disciple Jesus loved. And we say, well, that's kind of arrogant. No, it's not. Not at all. And I'm gonna call myself that too. I'm not John, okay, but I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. So are you. Disciple of Christ is somebody that Jesus loves. And John loved him, and he recognized him. He said, yeah, that's the lamb that was slain. I know him very well. But there's something else in this that I want to point out. Chapter 5 of Revelation, I'm looking down at verse number 7. He came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts, that's the angels, and the four and twenty elders, that's the humans, fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints." And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and has redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Thou hast made us unto our God kings and priests, that we should reign on the earth. And so he sees in heaven one more time, and they're worshiping God, but they have these vials. They have a golden bowl, if you will. And uh, he said they poured them out like incense. All right. Remember the incense in the temple? That was part of it, which always represents prayer. All right. So they light the incense and the smoke go up. And God said it was a sweet smelling savor. All right, and that's what prayers are to God. And suddenly we realize something here. You say, well, someday I'm going to go up and do that. You can do it now. You can do it today. Your prayers are collected and held. And when they worship God, they open the vial as an incense that goes up to God. So if you want to worship like they do in heaven, there's your way. You pray. You pray to God. You talk to God. And he keeps those prayers. You know, and if you're, like the Bible says, if you're only praying for your own selfish needs, don't expect that to 
get saved up there, <laughs> all right? But if you're praying for the kingdom of God, and you're praying for the rescue of souls, and you're praying for the things that God's concerned with, and you pray with all your heart, and then you can rest assured that that prayer will be captured up there, held in a vial, and released at the throne of God. And so that your prayers will be a part of that. So that's the first time we ever were told that. Right, we thought that they were looking up at heaven and we got really nothing to do with it. And all of a sudden John said, oh yeah, the prayers you prayed yesterday are right there. They're going right up to God as part of the worship service. And so all of a sudden prayer should have a new meaning for us. It's our opportunity to enter the throne room of God and worship long before we get there. Right, so it's a tremendous opportunity that's stuck in here and it's part of what Moses said. So we have God on his throne, people approaching him in the right way, the Spirit of God coming into them, helping them, feeding their souls like the bread, and we offer up to God prayers. All right now, other things that happen when we come to Isaiah, <coughs> what he saw was he saw the angels, he saw that, and then God said, I'm looking for somebody to do a job. And Isaiah said, I, me, I want to do it. Well, here's the message you give, right? And Ezekiel, the same way. He's by the river Kibar in captivity, and uh, he gets a message from God. He said, tell this message to the people in captivity. I want the people to hear that in captivity. Micaiah was also one who was told to deliver a message. His was very specific to King Ahab. And so we have coming from God at all times messages. There's messages coming from God. And most all of the messages, matter of fact, all of these messages including the ones to Moses, are sent as judgment. All right. Isaiah, he says, tell the people, he says, I'm not going to pay any attention to them. They can pray and they can do all they want. And I've had it up to here with them and they're going to go into captivity. And tell Ezekiel, same message. There's a few of you that are going to make it and stay faithful to God. The rest of you are going to turn into uh, Babylon people. And that's what happened when it was time to go home 70 years later. A lot of the Jews said, hey, I'm living good. This is Babylon. I'm making money. Why would I go home? And a small group under uh, Ezra and Nehemiah went. All right? And so they were given the message by Ezekiel. Of course, Micaiah, we talked about Ahab. He gave him the exact message of God, and he ignored it. So all the messages that God is sending to people. So every time God makes an appearance, he's I got a message for humans. Here, send them this. Tell them that. Tell them what I'm going to do. Now we come to the book of Revelations, and we have this very same thing. Although he sees and knows more than anybody else has seen so far, 
he still has a message to bring. And the message to John is, here's how the world will end. And so the book of Revelation has become the most fascinating book in the Bible because we look at it and try to figure it out, scratch our heads and think, what does that mean? What does this mean? Who's that person? What's that? And we're trying to figure it out. And I think uh, a lot of people have made some mistakes. There was a group of people in East Shelby once, and they went down the road to build their own church. And where the fire hall was, it used to be a big, tall, three-story building, kind of a beautiful building. And they built that because they were called Adventists. They believed that Jesus was going to return. The advent of Christ was going to come. Jesus was going to return. And they picked the date. They read the book of Revelations, figured it all out in their head. We got to figure it out. Our church is first. We figured it out. And so they started one of their churches right down here in East Shelby. And when that day came and went and nothing happened, they said, slight miscalculation. <laughs> All right. But we figured out our error. We're going to tell you now he's coming on this date. And when that date came and went, the whole system collapsed and that church closed. Why wouldn't it? You, know, you make your whole message that you figured out revelation and you find out you didn't. Matter of fact, you really messed it up. All right. If they'd have stuck to what? Stick to the gospel. Stick to the Bible. Stick to the story of Christ. So when we come to Revelation, we say, well, it's pretty interesting stuff. I sure would like to figure it out. So would I. I'd love to figure it out. All right. I can't quite do it <laughs> because we talked about Revelation being a book of numbers. And we have this magic number, number seven. And we talked about the seven spirits of God as represented by the candlestick and uh, <clears throat> seven churches. Well, when we get into Revelation, we got all kinds of sevens. And so he says, here's John's the end of time. And he, there's a book in heaven. And he said, going to open the book. Well, he can't. Nobody can open it. Don't worry, Jesus is coming. He'll open the book. He'll begin to show the end of time. And so he opens the book and he turns the page. Now listen, you hear that? Some of you are sitting right here heard that. Most of you didn't hear it. Turning the page doesn't make a lot of noise. Okay. Jesus begins the revelation of the end of time turning a page. He turns how many? seven pages. Alright, so he turns seven pages. Alright. And then the next thing we get is seven trumpets. Which is a lot louder, isn't it? And seven trumpets. Well, now, turning pages you can't hardly hear. As the beginning of time, or the end of time begins to draw near, uh, there's, a, there's a quiet revelation moving through as the turning of pages. And all of a sudden, now they're blowing a trumpet. You can hear that. All right. Seven trumpets. And then there is thunder. Thunder. Major 
crashes of thunders and they hear seven crashes of thunder and John's going, oh, this is getting pretty exciting. And God said, don't write that down. I don't want people to know that. So if you think you're going to figure it out, some of it has specifically been kept away from us. The seven thunders, which are exciting. And wow, that's going to tell us the future. God said to John, no, we're going to keep that out. The only thing they need to know is there's seven. <laughs> and they're loud and they're intense and they're coming. All right, they're coming. And then we have events on the earth begin to unfold. And we have uh, <clears throat> four horsemen who come out in the book of Revelations and they're sent as messengers. All right, so what do we say? God is always sending a message. Now there's four horsemen, and they're coming to deliver messages across the earth. And there's a horse of death and a horse of, of poverty and the other horses that ride. All right, and then there's seven more things that come up, a vial, seven vials. And the vials are vials of wrath. Vials of anger, the wrath of God. And we said that the messages right from the beginning, when a message comes from God, it always had some form of judgment in it. Where God says, okay, here's what's going to happen. Now, as John watches these things unfold, now he's getting the point. The thunders he couldn't mention, but he talks about the vials of wrath that are poured out on the earth, and there's seven of those. And as, as the time is going by, there's a series of events that happens in the earth, and we see Jesus explaining what some of those are in Matthew chapter 25. We're not going to look there now because we don't have time, see? We could talk about this for a long time, and someday we'll do that. But we don't have time to go through that now. But the point is, is that there is judgment being poured out now on the end of time. And the message is coming from God. It's coming. Pay attention. I've told you a lot of things to watch for, so watch for those things. And then suddenly there arise a series of characters, and there arises anti Christ and uh, the Antichrist, and there's a, a prophet who's Antichrist prophet, and we call the beast. All right, these characters arise. There's a whore who appears on the scene, which is the fake church. That one scares me the most. The fake church, the church that did anything except for what they were supposed to. And, uh, uh, man, I don't know. I wonder about that. Uh, and then it begins to identify places. It identifies Babylon as a symbol of the world system. And that system crashes. You see Babylon, that great city, and it crashes. And it, in other words, there's probably with it some sort of financial disaster. And then we see a city built on seven hills, which is Rome. 
all right? And that is going to be torn apart. So there's a series of events. He's watching these unfold before his eyes, and he sees creatures coming with horns and all sorts of things, which is the end of time. And we tried to figure them out. And one of the clearest ones in this whole uh, explanation is the Antichrist, because he's explained to us in half a dozen places elsewhere in the Bible. All right, in, in Paul's writing, he talks about, in, in uh, Thessalonians, uh, talks about the coming of Antichrist, uh, and uh, Jesus talked about the coming of Antichrist. And so, to me, that's the major sign. And you say, well, what are we looking for? Are we looking for floods, and are we looking for famines? Yeah, those are the beginnings of signs. It's turning the page, and you begin to see those things. And you're going to see the collapse of money systems and so forth, which our government is working real hard to make that happen. All right, don't kid yourself, all right? And so we see those kind of things happening, but we're looking for the appearance of Antichrist, of whom we've been told quite a bit that he will come and take over uh, kingdoms and rise up and something will happen to him. They'll think he's gone and he'll come back. And of course, he will lead the forces uh, in the last battle, all right? And so through these chapters, we see these things happening and we build up, build up, and build up the tension until we get to chapter 19 is where we're going to start to look, all right? Because we're going back to look at the throne of God again. We're going to look at the throne of God. Now what he's been unfolding here is the judgment of God on the earth. Here's what's happening. You know, God is coming and a whole series of events which represent basically human race in rebellion against God, right? Human race, and we don't want God, we'll take anything. We'll take Antichrist before we take God. We refuse to follow God. And the same message came from Right? Ezekiel and Isaiah, Micaiah, Ahab, he tells them exactly, if you go to battle, you'll die. And what does he do? He goes to battle and dies. You know, he's told exactly what's coming. He ignores it. And so we have here the explanation of what's coming. And by and large, people ignoring it. And then we come chapter 19, and we're going to go back into heaven and take a look again. So we'll start chapter 19. All right, the first verse. After these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven. All right, so now we're back up in heaven where the throne of God is. Hallelujah. Salvation, glory, and honor, and power to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he has judged the great whore, that's the false church, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders, there's the ones he saw, and the four beasts, back up in heaven again, fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne 
throne saying, Amen, so be it. Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise your God, all you servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, voice of many waters, as a voice of mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord omnipotent reigneth. Now remember, what he's just seen is destruction and destruction and failures and government failures and horrible things happening. And up in heaven they're going, God's charge. <laughs> Good. Verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice. Give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Verse 9, he saith unto me, write, blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. And so we have a series of events now happening in heaven as God begins to show John in his revelation what's happening up there. And he goes, number one, there's a marriage. Marriage. The church, of course, is the bride. And so there's a point where <laughs> the bride is complete, ready to be married. That is, everybody on earth who is part of the church of Jesus Christ in their heart, real followers of Jesus Christ, they're going to be up there and there's going to be a, a big wedding feast and that's how it's going to start. All right, So something's happening. Now watch carefully because we're going to see something unfolding that we never dreamed would happen. All right, Now we'll get another look at Jesus up in heaven. Verse 11, 1911. <coughs> I saw heaven open, behold a white horse, and he that sat at him was called faithful and true, and righteousness he does judge and make war. And his eyes are as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now we know who that is. That's Jesus, all right? Jesus is on a war horse. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so he's heading to battle. He's going to put an end to human rebellion. Right? So the wonderful thing, the marriage supper of the Lamb, church is home with Christ. All right, and then the next thing, there's a battle, final battle. And uh, Jesus is coming with his warriors and himself. And he is... Uh, treading the wine press, or that is, he's squeezing the last drop of the anger of God out on the earth, and he is bringing judgment. <clears throat> if you look at it, it's pretty 
uh, scary to realize what they're saying. Verse 17, I saw an angel standing in the sun. He cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come, gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and them that sit on them, the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both great and small. And so, talking about the battle we call Armageddon, where, uh, <coughs> where, the Antichrist gathers the forces marching on Jerusalem. Verse 19, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. The beast was taken with him, the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped his image. And both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat on the horse. The sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. And so, okay, buzzards, <laughs> crows, anything that wants to eat rotten flesh, come on down, because we're going to fill this place with dead bodies. And that's what the explanation of the Battle of Armageddon is that the blood flows up to the bridle on the horses. All right, they wiped them all out. And they didn't have to have atomic bombs. They did it with hail. Hailstones are 100 pounds apiece. All right? You hit one of them, you're done like dinner, man. It's <laughs> over for you. And he says he... It slayed them with a sword that came out of his mouth. Or in other words, he's just able to say a word and they're, they're gone. And there are hailstones coming. Another word, and the ground cracks open, they fall in, and they're just dying in huge multitudes as he's putting an end to human rebellion. That's all right, the final battle. All right, now, chapter 20. Is judgment coming on the earth? He comes down and he pours out this final judgment and destroys all the forces of evil and he sets up a thousand year reign, a kingdom, and he rules on the earth for a thousand years. We're told about that kingdom that uh, the stress goes out of the world and the stress is the curse. We live in a world that's cursed, all right? Right from the beginning, the world was cursed, and the world was filled with stress. And when God comes and Jesus comes to rule the earth for a thousand years, he says he rules it with a rod of iron. He's in charge, and there's nobody saying not so. <laughs> nobody. He sets up the kingdoms of this world, and what do they do? They beat their weapons into plowshares. Okay, we're going to stop fighting, and we're going to run the earth the way it's supposed to be run. Right? And he has a kingdom of peace. And there's a thousand years of peace come over the earth. It's an amazing time as he has now set up his kingdom and done what he wants to do. And so he judges, he makes war, and he has a thousand years of peace. Thousand year reign of peace. He controls, rules the world with a rod of iron. And he is basically saying what? 
I gave it to you for 7,000 years. Man, did you mess it up. I will show you how government is supposed to work. And he will come and set up government in the world that will transform the nations. And so the stress goes out of the world. And what does he say? The lion will lay down with the lamb. There's a stress in nature. And Paul said nature's groaning because of the curse, waiting for the kingdom of God to come. And so all of a sudden he says children are going to play with poison snakes and have them in their pockets. It's okay. They won't hurt anymore. And he says they're going to play with uh, dangerous things, scorpions. They'll play with the scorpions. Hey, look what I got, Mom. I got a scorpion. You know, now you'd say, no. <laughs> and then it's, it's good. Play. Have a good time. Lion lays down with the lamb. The lion eats grass instead of everybody else. <laughs> all right. And that's all very peaceful in this new setup. All right. And so we have in chapter 20 that arrangement of a thousand years of peace under Jesus Christ. Now we go to chapter 21. And what we're about to see is just extraordinary. Here we go. Chapter 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so he sees coming out of heaven a city called the New Jerusalem. He sees it coming down from heaven. And uh, let's get a look at this place. Verse 10, chapter 21. Carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like jasper stone, clear as crystal. And so as, as it's coming down, he can see right through it because it's clear and the structures aren't dark they're clear and they're made out of things that we don't know really <laughs> and uh, here's some explanation verse 12 had a great wall and high had 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels names written thereon which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. He that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And so he's showing John, and the city's coming down. It's uh, got four sides, and it is uh, got three gates on each side, okay? And now he's going to measure the wall. Um, verse 16. City lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. 
And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, and the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. All right, and so here's this new city that's coming down out of God, this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And uh, it's four square, they call it, or that is, it's this way, this way, and this way, and this way, and there's, uh, it's a square, four square. So it's 1,500 miles long, it's 1,500 miles wide, all right, and it's 1,500 miles high. Right, now you seen big buildings in a city, maybe up 10 stories. Of course, you go to New York and see the big, tall buildings that are 20 stories or however many stories. Well, here is a city coming down that's 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles high. Now, how did they do that? All right, Sam, you want to try something like that? There's, there you got to, you better be a good builder if you're going to build something like that. Right, and that's why I always suggest to you that they're building it up there now. All right, and they're making it ready now to come down because it's a huge, huge, huge city. It's as big as Europe. All right, there's a city as big as Europe and it's coming down out of the sky to land on the earth. All right. Let's take a little, another look, uh, see what else is going on here. Verse 18, the building of the wall of it was jasper. The city was pure gold like unto clear glass. Now the gold that we have you can't see through. Okay, you can't see through gold. This gold you could see through. Is it gold? Not like we know it. All right. So obviously, what's he going to call it? Well, it's the finest thing I can think of. It's a place that's made of gold. But you can see through it. So it's hard to explain. 19, the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. First, Foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, and so forth. And these are colors, really. That in the clear creation, there's colors there that he can see. And 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. And every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. And so all of these gates... He says, they're one big pearl. <laughs> and what's the reference? Obviously. You want to get to that city, you got to go through the pearl. And what's the pearl? Jesus said, there's a pearl of great price. Remember? We've talked about it several times where Jesus tells the story of a guy who's shopper. He shops for a living. And he's looking for pearls. And he buys all kinds of pearls, and all of a sudden he finds this one most beautiful, most perfect pearl in the world. And he sold all his other pearls because he wanted that one. 
And Jesus, of course, is the pearl of great price. He's the most valuable thing there is. And he says they're going to make the gates out of pearl. So when you come up and you walk through one of those gates, say, how did I get here? Jesus Christ coming through the gate. He's pearl. He's the pearl. All right, of heaven. Verse 22, I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which were saved shall walk in the light of it. Kings do bring their glory and honor unto it, and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. Ha, <laughs> ha, I don't know. I can't ever sleep. I'm up half the night, every night, just the nature of my life. Ever since I was a kid, I couldn't sleep any more than four hours. Or I didn't get up. And so I used to read under my covers when I was a kid. So my mother saw my light burned a little hole. She wasn't happy about that. Stop reading under your covers. Can't help it. Now nobody tells me I can't read at night. So I just get up and read. But... There's going to be a time when I'm not going to be tired. Wow, what a day. What a day it will be when it's light all the time. And the gates are open. And whenever you want, you can go in. Why is there 12 gates? There's all kinds of people. Some people have different ideas about God. They're going to go in that gate. East Shelby will go on our little gate, or our big gate. <laughs> We're going in the big gate, all right? What a great thing is happening here as he talks about what's going to happen. And uh, 26, they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, shall no wise enter into anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they that are written in the Lamb's book of life. Evil is gone. It isn't in there anymore. It's all gone. We're talking about a world like you can't imagine. As a matter of fact, what's happened is the original visions of God, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micaiah, and even John in Revelations, was well, I looked up into heaven, and there's another dimension that we can't see. And we talked about the dimensions. Heaven's another dimension. We live in this dimension, exist in a time-space continuum. This is where we live in our dimension. There was a dimension of the place of the dead. All right, and then uh, there's a dimension that we call the air. The Bible talks about a dimension that we can't see, but people travel in it, spirits travel in it, Jesus traveled in it, Satan traveled in it. <coughs> and there's another dimension of existence, which is right here next to us that we can't see. And so we know the Bible talks about four dimensions. All of a sudden, no, new world. Two dimensions left. Heaven came down to earth. Or should we say earth became heaven. One dimension. And so all the things that used to go on up there that we couldn't see and couldn't have a part of, 
unless we prayed. <laughs> All that thing is now down here. And the earth has been remade. There's no sea in it. And uh, somebody said to me the other day, I won't like it because there's no sunrise. Well, I'm not sure that there's not sunrise. I was thinking about that. In the city, they don't need it. All right. City, they don't need it. The lamb is the light. He lights everything up. All right. But I'm not sure if you wander around the rest of the world, there won't still be a sunrise and a sunset. All right. And we can travel through the world because I believe the dimension where people used to travel will become part of this dimension. So three dimensions actually come into one. Heaven and earth unite in one great dimension. And then what used to be the traveling dimension where spirits travel now becomes it and everybody's in the same dimension. So they don't have to travel to get around our dimension. They're just in our dimension, which means I think that we can travel and go wherever we want. <laughs> I'm pretty excited about that. I'm thinking of the world as I've seen it uh, in some places, the Rocky Mountains or the fjords in Norway, some of the things I've seen that are so beautiful. I want to take another look. All right, they may be a little different. I want to see them again. And I don't think I have to make a, hire a bus or plane and go. I'm just going to say, let's see, I'm going Zoom and I'm there because this dimensions all come together. All right. And the other dimension, which was the place of the dead, is gone. What happened to that? Well, if you go back a couple pages. In chapter 20, I believe. Verse 11, I saw a great white throne, him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. The books were open, another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to the works. Sea gave up the dead which were in it, the death and hell, that's that other dimension, delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to his works. And Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is a second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. All right. So now that dimension is empty and gone, has no purpose anymore. Now there's this dimension on earth or heaven or whatever, earth, heaven and earth all together. And then there's a fire, a lake of fire. And all the rebellion against God that occurred from the beginning of time right up till the last moment is in there, gone. Does it still exist? I guess so. Man, we don't want to be there, huh? Now, here we go, chapter 22. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river, there was a tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There shall be no more curse, 
But the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. They shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. He said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. The Lord God of the holy prophets sent His angels to show unto His servants the things which must shortly be done. All right. So, Rebellion is gone. The curse is gone. And earth goes back almost, but not really, to what it once was. It was a paradise with Adam and Eve. He created what's called paradise. And Adam and Eve were in there. And what did they do? Walk around and eat fruit. Eat whatever they wanted. It was all there, whatever thing you want, except for one tree, right? Just don't eat that tree and you can enjoy paradise forever. Well, first thing they did was ate the tree, right? And so, from that moment, the curse came. And from that moment, judgment against sin came from God continuously. And whenever we see God talking to humans, it's about the judgment. This is what you guys rebelled against, and here's what happened, the people who rebel. And so we come now, finally all that's gone, and now the message coming from God is not judgment anymore. That stopped. Now there's a river flowing out from the throne of God, and there's trees. I love that. I love that. And there's 12 seasons, and there's a fruit for every season. So, on this day, you can get one of these trees. Now, he mentions right when he talks about the trees that the curse is gone. Because I think it's not a little apple tree like you go up and see in the orchard, you know. This tree must be humongous. This thing must be uh, fantastic and huge. And there's 12 of these giant trees filled with fruits. And this month we're going to eat this one. And that month they're going to eat that one. And oh man, is there any more judgment? Nothing. Only coming out from God like paradise was. Here, eat fruit. Here's fruit. Eat it. Enjoy this. This is going to be a wonderful world. And so we have the transformation of creation the whole system is changed. And he sees a new heaven and a new earth, he calls it. It's a whole different dimension than we live in now. Mm -hmm. And it becomes the throne of God with man. Only instead of every time he sees the throne, a message of judgment coming. Now what? Healing for the nations. Healing for the nations. Peace coming out. Eat the fruit. Enjoy. It's paradise. A thousand times better than it was for Adam and Eve. All right? He's made a beautiful, wonderful place. So, that's a pretty good look at the throne of God. And who'd have thought it would end up like that? Huh? Who'd have thought it would end up where we're there and enjoying life, and the only thing that comes out of God's mouth is sweetness. Judgment has disappeared. 
What a wonderful ending it is. And so you see that God in his word made a superior explanation of the purpose of living. Nothing compares to it. And the purpose of living and the reason we sit here tonight and do what we do and why we have church, because we're going to be part of that marriage in heaven and watch the final battle. We are also going to join him and rule in the thousand years of peace. He says, I got jobs for you. And we're going to be ambassadors for Christ during that time. And then when that's over, a new Jerusalem. City come down, thousand by a thousand, 1,500 miles by 15. There's a, there's a song in the book. We've never sang it before. I used to sing it when we were kids in 391. It's about that city. In the land of endless, fadeless day lies the city four square. It shall never pass away, and there is no night there. All the gates of pearl are made in the city four square. All the streets with gold are laid, and there is no night there. And the gates shall never close of the city four square. Their life's crystal river flows. There is no night there. There they need no sunshine bright in the city four square. For the Lamb is all the light, and there is no night there. God shall wipe away all tears. There is no death, no pain, no fears. And they count not time by years, for there is no night there. That's where we're going. That ought to change your opinion about the world, okay? How to change your opinion about God, how to realize that in our future is coming something that's staggeringly amazing. And if I get to go to heaven and work on that city before it comes down, I'd be happy to do that. I worked on this old building and it won't last that long. We know when we're painting out there and scraping, it ain't gonna last forever. But I'd like to work on that one before it came down. If it comes down before I get to, I'm just going to go. I'm going to walk through one of them gates and say, look at me. Here I am. And God will say, welcome home, welcome home. All right? So that's the end of the study of God's appearances. And it takes a high level. When it finishes, here's where God appeared in the very end of the book. And we suddenly recognize that it's a plan laid out before the world was made, perfectly executed by a God who understands government and will make it work to perfection. Thank you.